Hi, and welcome to Measured in Metric, a podcast about engineering monuments, the people who built them, and the people who use them. My name is Vivian Yu. And my name is John Julius. I'm a civil engineer. And I'm married to a civil engineer. Every episode, we're going to pick one engineering monument. Maybe it's brand new, or maybe it's ancient from somewhere in the world. We're going to tell you what it is, who built it, why it was built, when it was built, what it's used for, if it's still in use today. We're going to deep dive into absolutely everything that you could possibly want to know about this topic. But I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about the high-level bits, and I'm going to say some stupid jokes. (laughs) And that's how we do. Let's get right into it. So today we're going to talk about the Hagia Sophia. Okay. And... I mean, a confession here, every time we research something that is a monument that we've already been to, it's A, a little bit easier for me. I have a bit more context. And B, I just like it. (laughs) (laughs) I just really enjoy doing episodes on places that we've been. So this is, yeah, a little bit of uh, navel gazing. But yeah, we did did go to Istanbul in 20. 2013. So quite a while ago, and we did visit the Hagia Sophia, and it is beautiful, like legitimately a monument. Yeah, it was. It was very impressive. So it is located in Istanbul in Turkey. Yep. And it is in the old town area, very close to the old palace and very close to the Blue Mosque, which was later built modeled on the Hagia Sophia. Ooh, and so it's a role model. That's right. It, it became the template for a lot of the structures that were built later on in the area. So it's located in Istanbul in a very contentious location historically because it is a point between Asia and Europe. It's politically switched hands a number of times. Yeah. So you know, John, that Istanbul has had many names. Yeah, yeah. Istanbul, Constantinople... Why did why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. It's a song. It's a song. So everybody everybody who grew up, I'm assuming in the 90s, but it might go back even further than that, has heard that song like a million times. And like I don't know who wrote it. I'm familiar with the They Might Be Giants version, but it's just it could be a cover. I don't know. I just don't know. But we've all heard the song. Yeah, so before Istanbul was Istanbul, it was Constantinople. And before that, it was Byzantium. Yeah. So each name change reflected the changing of the political power in place. And each change of those, each change of the guards, changed the intent and the use of the Hagia Sophia. So it's really interesting to be able to see its transformation over over basically 1,600 years pretty impressive. That's a good lifespan for a building. Yeah. And I'm just going to interject here, a very ornate building. Incredibly ornate. It's a domed monument. So it's famous for its dome, which is not the biggest anymore, but it was the biggest at the time. Yeah. Freestanding dome. It was built multiple times throughout history. Oh, I retract my previous statement about longevity. Well, so originally, so the building that we know of today has lasted about 1,600 years. Oh, okay. But before that, it was built multiple times as a cathedral, 
during the Byzantine Empire, but it was always built in wood. And so it was built in 360 AD for the first time in wood and it burned to the ground during riots. And it was rebuilt again in 415 in wood and then burned down during the riots. And they kind of did this a few times before they were like, let's maybe not use wood. Then they used straw and it was just way worse. And then the wolf came and huff and puff and blew the house down. No, so... But the the wolf in this story (laughs) is Constantine. (laughs) (laughs) All right, sorry, tell me. So they finally built it in 537 with stone. Okay. And that is the Hagia Sophia that we know today. It is relatively fireproof. Yeah. It is not too many other things proof. So it did get shattered a few times by other natural disasters like earthquakes. Okay. Did not know that earthquakes hit Turkey. So I would imagine that because like, so Istanbul, like there is a bridge across the continents. Yes. And aren't continents determined by some sort of geological? I always thought it was geopolitical. I think so. A country is geopolitical. A continent, I believe, has to do with tectonic plates. Maybe. Yeah. So anyway, it is relatively fireproof. And I'll go a little bit into the materials later on. But for now, that's kind of what you need to know. It was built in 537 AD. Cool. By the Eastern Roman Emperor Justinian I. Ooh. And we actually know the engineer's name. He was Anthemius of Trellis. <laughs> oh, he's most famous for his thing that goes on the wall and the vines climb up. <laughs> no. But, but the Hagia Sophia is, uh, is his, it's, it was his passion project. <laughs> So I say the Eastern Roman Emperor. Do you know what that means? I hear the Romans and I'm just like, okay, so the Roman Empire, but it was like garbage because there was like a few, right? Because there was like the Holy Roman Empire, which was like up in Germany. Yeah. So I had to kind of look into this a few times because like you said, there's multiple things. So what are all the differences? So there's the original Roman Empire, which is what we think of when we watch like the miniseries Rome, like these yeah. are gladiators. These are the guys in the skirts. Yeah, fighting. yeah. like Italy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roman Empire. And then the Roman Empire kind of fell, but it dispersed because it had already conquered so much. So then the, there was Eastern Roman Empire, which went east. So kind of like Romania-ish down to like Turkey. That eastern part of the Mediterranean. That's the Eastern Roman Empire. And it's also often called the Byzantine Empire. But then there was also the Western Roman Empire. But that's not the Holy Roman Empire, which is a made up thing later on when they were like, we want to make up a... Yeah, the, the famous joke is that the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman. That's right. Yeah. It was a made up like organization Kind of calling to, on the yes, the calling majesty. on the history yeah. of the Roman Empire, which every crazy dictator since have tried to do. Pretty right? much. So anyway, this is the Eastern Roman Empire, which I guess was a legitimate branch of the original Roman Empire. Sure. Right. So that's why it was originally Byzantium. That's why Istanbul was originally called Byzantium. Yeah. The seat of the Byzantine Empire. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And this is important to know the history of the Hagia Sophia because Hagia Sophia is kind of like a tree where if you cut it, you'll see the rings and kind of the history of it. There's layers to it. And as you peel back the plaster, you're going to find different mosaics and different art that will call on the history that it's had. That's pretty really cool. interesting. Yeah. So it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Okay. I don't have any history on the budget <laughs> of it. It cost what it cost. It cost a lot and it is what it is. Yeah. And it was restored multiple times throughout history. So during the Byzantine Empire, every emperor that came up about would kind of add to it, repair it, increase the size or add extensions or add artwork. They would put their own mark on the Hagia Sophia. Sure. So originally in 532 to 537. So this was built within like five years and it was real fast for something this big to be built. And this was the stone version. So at this point, I'm just talking about the stone version. Yeah, forget about the wood version. The wood version was was garbage. Yeah, I feel like... Starting with the new and improved. There's a really missed opportunity here for like the Monty Python joke. I built it with my hands and then it fell down. And then I sunk into the swamp. I built it again and then burned and sunk into the swamp. But this, this is the strongest. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the Hagia Sophia was originally named as the Holy Wisdom. That's what the name means. Okay. And when Emperor Justinian I built it, he wanted it to be the biggest, baddest basilica, blah, 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 you know. As, as emperors are are wont to do right exactly and it was great but then 20 years later the dome collapsed so they rebuilt it better bigger and then collapsed and then bigger and better built it so you know yeah the monty python joke this is strongest yeah okay so look though so the romans known for their arches sure right domes that's a Close. whole lot of arch. Well, that yeah. is that is we're, we're we're talking we're talking three full dimensions of spherical arch. Right. You know. Right. So give them cut them some slack. <laughs> They're doing their best. Trailblazers. It was beautifully ornate. It held some of the most good examples of early Christian art. And so, John, I don't know if you recall this, but like. When we go to Italy and when we go to... Never been. Well, when we go to Western Europe and you see the art museums and, you know, like there's always the Jesus wing, right? Like I always breeze through the Jesus wing of the art museums. It's just paintings of Jesus and you know exactly what he looks like. Always white. He's always white. He's always in pain. Sometimes he's a baby. Yeah. And he's always this like... But still bleeding for some reason. Do you remember that painting with like eight Jesuses on it? Anyway. Yeah. But you know exactly what he looks like. Everyone can picture these Vatican pictures of Jesus. But when you go to Turkey and you see pictures and paintings that they did of Jesus and Mary in the very primitive, like early days of Christianity, it was like basically a cartoon. I don't think I've ever seen depictions of jesus like that anywhere else do you remember that yeah, it was no, quite primitive 
it it was, but it was, I mean, it was indicative of the, of a lot of the art at the time. Right. Like I have a very limited knowledge of art history, but the development of perspective was like surprisingly late or, and like the development of like painting someone realistically. Where, yeah. yeah. Like, like even just as they might exist in three dimensions, like it, it's really something that developed in. Yeah. So something that's really special, I guess, about the Hagia Sophia is you get really great cartoons of Jesus. Sure. That are in, in the frescoes and in the mosaics mm-hmm. and in mosaics, mostly not even frescoes because the frescoes need to get restored and they're really delicate, but the mosaics are quite long lasting Yeah, because they're tiles. You also have a lot of mosaics of each of the emperors that had their hand on the Hagia Sophia. Yeah, and that's thanks in large part to Emperor Mosaicus, <laughs> the, the inventor of the mosaic, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right, of course. Yeah, put that on your history test, kids. And then, okay, so from 500-ish AD, the Byzantine Empire was great, and then in... 13th century so about 1200 yeah it was looted so istanbul was invaded and looted by venetians and crusaders and at this point i was a little bit confused as to why crusaders were looting a church which i sophia was at the time and then there's also this other history of like different christians so that's also a thing that we must understand. So the Hagia Sophia was originally built by the Byzantine Empire, which is Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. But the Crusaders were more like Holy Roman Catholics. Yeah. Which is a different thing, even though they're both Christian-ish. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's, there's a long, <laughs> they both long history They agree there. that Jesus was all right. So anyway... Hagia Sophia was looted in 1204 by the Venetians and the Crusaders. All the gold and silver was completely stripped from the church. It was desecrated by the Crusaders. They smashed the altar to pieces. And then after the sacking of the church, they decided to make it a cathedral. Right. So that it was a Catholic church, basically. Yeah. So it went from an Eastern Roman church, basilica, to a Holy Roman Catholic church cathedral yeah that makes a difference to them so it's kind of like buying a house and then being like "Mm, i don't really like the decorations and then just like sacking it no (laughs) no rip it all down repaint everything so yeah so so insofar as we had a lot of you know like theocratic governments yes right so the amount of authority that a church had and i would argue continues to have over a government kind of necessitates these divisions right yeah it was more political than it was just yeah yeah i know i know so anyway that happened in 1204 and then in 1453 the ottoman empire conquered constantinople when it was invaded by the Crusaders, it became Constantinople. And then in 1453, Ottoman Empire conquered it, and then it became Istanbul. Oh, man, why does Constantinople get so much credit if it was only there for like 200 years? Like we had Byzantium 
for, what, 700 years. I might have gotten this part wrong. I'm not exactly sure when it became Constantinople. It probably became Constantinople when Constantine became emperor. And I don't know which Roman Empire that was. Gotcha. So whenever that was. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Vivian and I are not dates people, so... Yeah, sorry, guys. I mean, the history on this, I tried to... There's so much history on the Hagia Sophia, and I'm trying to boil it down to what you need to know so that you understand architecturally what happened to the place. Yeah. So anyway, became Istanbul. Ottoman Empire came in, sacked the city and the Hagia Sophia again. But Mehmed II, so the sultan at the time, entered the church and immediately ordered that it should be converted to a mosque. It was so beautiful. He was like, this, this needs to be the same but different. (laughs) And by him declaring that it needs to be converted to a mosque immediately meant that soldiers could not keep sacking the place. There were soldiers that were still trying to pry up the marble flooring and they were immediately killed on sight. Oh. This is now the sultan's territory. So you shouldn't have done that. He added wooden minarets and a tower that's used for the call to prayer. He added that giant chandelier, which the Islamic designers really are a fan of. And I'm also a fan of, like you sometimes go into these giant mosques and giant spaces and it's like biggest chandelier you can possibly imagine. So cool. They also added, of course, other things that they need for their worship. Right. The depictions of Jesus, Mary, and all the other Christian icons that came before, they were covered up by whitewash and plaster. They were okay. not removed, which is good because they covered them, which meant that later on it was able to be restored. And a lot of the historic icons was preserved. Hmm. Well, there you go. That is not the end of that. So <laughs> in 1934... The Turkish president, Kemal Ataturk, secularized the building and mm-hmm. turned it into a museum. So, John, when you and I visited, it was a museum. Do you recall that? But it was it was a museum that was in use, right? No, it was not. Not exactly. So it was strictly a museum. There were depictions of both like icons of Islamic faith and Christian and Catholic symbols, like all over in different parts of the building. There was an entire wing dedicated to the architectural design. Yeah, but I was under the impression that people would go there, still go there to worship. No. Wow. No, they were not allowed to do that until this year. Wow. So this year in 2020, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Yeah. I'm so sorry for butchering these names. But yes, the modern day president converted the building back into a mosque. Yeah. And that is a very recent and very controversial topic. Yeah. Well, so he has, I mean, he has a lot. He's a pretty hardcore, like nationalist, like back to our roots kind of a guy. I don't know a ton about his rule, but he is very much of the uh, fascist mentality from what I hear. Yeah. So... I'm not sure how much you remember, John, because we kind of visited the Blue Mosque and the Hagia Sophia almost on the same day, and you might have gotten the two confused. No, give me a little bit more credit than that. <laughs> I, I, My personal favorite was actually the mini Hagia Sophia. Yeah. Do you remember that one? That is really cute. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so today, 
it has been converted back to a mosque. The Christian imagery is kept and concealed behind curtains. Okay. Rather than the demolished. Yeah. And like I said, the early Byzantine art and the Christian icons were so beautiful and impressed the Ottomans so much that even in the conversion to a mosque, they didn't destroy all the Christian influences. So for example, in one of the ceilings, there's a four meter tall mosaic of the Virgin Mary with Jesus as a child. Four kilometers tall. Four meters. (laughs) (laughs) Four meters tall, which is still pretty tall. Like I can believe that Jesus might've been two meters tall, but like, you know, four meters is like quite tall. So you you understand the painting does not have to be life-size. Yeah, yeah. It can be smaller or larger. But basically it was done in... 867 and it sits 30 meters above the church floor and it's a great example of early christian art and it's still there today it remains since the conversion through all its transformations and it's still there you can still see it right which is just such a cool place like the isopia is such a cool place that you get this mesh and mix of the different religions that you know were so conflicted mm-hmm. And still are, in some ways, very conflicted. But the Hagia Sophia is just such a beautiful mosaic of all these different parts of its history. That is true. Right. So let me get a little bit deeper into the construction of this. Okay. It's a really good example of Byzantine architecture. It was first constructed with approximately, I don't know how anybody calculated this, but 10,000 workers built in five years. Pretty good. That is. That is pretty good. But so I think that like we don't give early cultures enough credit for their like organization and note-taking skills. Note-taking skills? Well, no, because like they've found like logs and stuff of like workers who were building like pyramids and stuff. Like like there was a lot more. We sort of think like, oh, they just had a plan and they slapped it together and it's a miracle. But it's just like, no, they had like, they knew well, they how to write. prototypes, which is what the mini Isophia was, which is a yeah. smaller version of the Isophia that sits I don't know, like a couple blocks away from the couple blocks. It was probably a 20 minute walk. Like it was it, it's probably only like a kilometer away. But because of the way that you have to wind through the streets, it yeah. was like a 30, 40 minute walk, and, if I remember correctly. And it's kind of a prototype. And it's now like a mausoleum for some of the sultans. I thought that that one was an active mosque. Oh, it might. Uh, be. Yeah, there were there were. I don't know if it's also another thing, but there were one hundred percent. Like we walked in, and we kind of looked around, and there were like people worshiping off in another room, and then we were sort of in like this kind of museum area, and there were a bunch of these like kids running around, like you know, kicking right. their shoes and everything because their parents were in worshiping, and their kids they want to have fun. So that was I thought that was pretty cute. <laughs> and the building was pretty cute. But yeah, I, I I would, yeah, that was an active. Yeah. Okay, so the most famous feature of the I Sophia is the dome, the main dome. It is just under 52 meters in diameter. Mm-hmm. 52 meters in diameter, like that's pretty freaking big. Yeah. And it's about 0.6 meters, so 600 millimeter thick. Ooh. 
right? Less yeah. than a meter thick. Yeah. Is what it they think the shell is. So 600 millimeters is roughly two feet. Shh. We don't need that. <laughs> it sits on 40 equally spaced ribs. And there's also windows attached to the base of the dome. Okay. To create this illusion that the dome was just floating over the church. Nice. The windows also reduced the weight of the dome. So that was also part of it. Yeah. And they made it out of brick and mortar. And most of the shell, they think, is just one brick thick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's crazy because to build something one brick thick, it is not strong. (laughs) (laughs) That is not how bricks work. And they use fireproof so-called materials. So they use crushed, fired, burnt stones. So stones that have already been burnt and they added it to the mortar. And it's more flexible and lighter than the mortar that we use today. And they also used bricks that are porous, and so they're lighter, and they're brought in from Rhodos Island, and they're placed between really thick layers of this mortar clamped tightly together. So there's actually like normal brick house. You see, you know, the the bricks and then kind of a thin layer of mortar in between. Mm -hmm. This is really light, porous, almost spongy bricks with thick layers of this kind of like goopier mortar. Interesting. Yeah, so very cool. That's the building of the dome. So Anthemius, who is the engineer that I originally talked about, he had a challenge because the base of the building is square. Okay, the building is a square building. Yeah. How do you build a circle dome that sits on a square building? This is a very difficult challenge for a five-year-old. <laughs> you just have supports and part of the circle is farther away. That's it. Is a square touches a circle. If you build a circle of the proper diameter, then it touches your square at four points. So are you thinking that the circle is bigger than the square or the circle is... No. So the circle sits inside of the square, John. That's even easier. It doesn't overhang. But how do you support it? How do you support it? You've got this dome. It needs to be supported evenly all around the bottom as the circle. Doesn't? It does. Especially if it's basically floating one brick thick. So then you build it the exact same diameter... And then you have, there's just a little bit of the circle that overhangs, and then you just reinforce. Anyhow, (laughs) tell me how he did it. John can build your dome, guys. No, I can understand how to build a round dome on a square. Anyhow, continue, enlighten me. He built arches at the top of each of the square walls so that the top is an arch. And in between the arches, he filled it in with like curved triangle spaces. Right. So that at the end of the day, you would have a circular base. Mm -hmm. Right. So imagine you've got the four walls, they're arched. And so you've got four arches in the form of a square. And then in between, 
you've got kind of triangular spaces, right? If you were to connect in a circle all the tops of the arches, mm-hmm. and he filled those triangular spaces in kind of like curved triangles with the same mortar stuff. Mm-hmm. And that way you can have the force of the dome applied evenly down on all the arches and down on the walls. Those triangles that are filled in are called pendentives. Interesting. And they also distribute the weight evenly down to the columns because they basically collect. Yeah. Right? Their points are down to each column hmm. of the building. Well, I'll give it up for that. That's a that's a clever solution to a simple problem. It is. It is. <laughs> and also, I feel like every time we talk about like old monuments and circles, we need to come back to this stupid argument of how did they figure out pi? So, there is this theory that Anthemius used math that was developed by uh, Hero of Alexandria. He was a Hellenistic mathematician of the first century AD. Okay. So basically, it's the geometric conception based on mathematical formulas, and it avoids the use of irrational numbers for construction. Because basically, using irrational numbers or numbers that are not whole numbers mm-hmm. is difficult for construction because how can you measure it, right? Like, how can you measure 3.333333 or 3.14, blah, 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 blah? Yeah. Anything multiplied by pi is never going to be rational because pi is not rational. Yeah. So how do you rationalize pi? So you don't express it as an irrational number. You approximate based on a fraction. And what they suspect that Anthemius used was approximating pi as 22 divided by 7. Okay. So just stay with me here. If you assume that pi is 22 divided by 7, then as long as all your radius or diameter is a multiple of 7, your circumference and areas should be rational. Yeah. Because then it'll multiply by 7, right? If your pi is 22 divided by 7 and circumference is 2 pi r, 2 times 22 divided by 7, but r being a multiple 7, you're going to get rid of that fraction on the bottom. Yeah. And you will therefore make it rational. Interesting. So, So everything, if you were to measure it, everything would be like 22 centimeters... 44 centimeters, 88. Is that what we're saying? Basically, a multiple of that, as long as your radius is a multiple of seven. Interesting. Then everything else is a multiple of 22, roughly. I like it. That sort of makes sense. I mean, you know, if I start crunching it in my head, I'm going to throw up. But (laughs) (laughs) I can understand the rationale behind it. Because that way, all your other measurements, like you're trying to figure out the circle and then you've got arches sitting that it's sitting on top of, but the arches sit on squares. Well, how wide should your base be? You don't want it to be an irrational number. Mm -hmm. But if you keep your radius of the circle at the top rational, 
or a multiple seven, then your circumference is going to be rational. Then everything it sits on will be rational. Then your walls are going to be a whole number that you can yeah. measure. Wow. See, this guy did a good job before he was just uh, designing walls for vines to climb. <laughs> and now here he is approximating pi. Yeah. See, he's, he, he's great. Like, yeah. he had a few good ideas. Not so easy to just build a dome, you know? <laughs> he thought it through. Constructability. Oh, I didn't say that it was easy to build a dome. I said it was easy to figure out how to fit a round dome on a square base. <laughs> Anyway, throughout the history of the Isophia, it needed many repairs and strengthening. When the Ottomans came in, I actually have all these different names of the different architects and engineers that like touched it, which nobody really cares about. But in the 16th century, additional structural supports were provided by the Ottoman architect Mimar Sinan who was also an earthquake engineer. So he was able to strengthen the exterior and built larger minarets outside. He added some other ornaments to the structure, building on top of what the original Byzantines had done. In 1594, the court architect, Davud Aga, built the tomb of the sultan and the family into the structure. So that is in there somewhere. In 1717, under Sultan Ahmed III, they renovated the crumbling plaster and in a way indirectly preserving the mosaics. They also built a school, a library, a soup kitchen for the poor and basically turned it into a community center. Not bad. Very cool. In 1849, under the Sultan's order, they hired some Swiss-Italian architects to come in and consolidated the dome with restraining iron chains, strengthened the vaults, straightened up the columns. They exposed the mosaics that were originally under the plaster and cleaned it. They fixed the minarets so they were actually all at the same height, which I guess before they weren't. Very cool. But I kind of, I don't know, I kind of like the minarets at different... I don't know. Yeah, it gives you kind of like a, like a nice multi-level tiered look. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know... Islamic art was very much about like symmetry. So I get it. Yeah. And as a museum, when it was converted to a museum, the rest of the plaster that was covering the mosaics were removed. They did more restoration of the dome. They're always stabilizing the structure. <laughs> so yes, ongoing projects. Yes. And today it is the second most visited museum or up until it was converted back to a mosque. It was the second most visited museum in Turkey. Okay. It attracted 3 million visitors annually. Pretty good. Yeah. And throughout basically the 2000s, there was a lot of lobbying. There was the Free Ayasofia Council who wanted to restore the building back to its original intent as a Christian church. Okay. And since 2010, there's been also campaigns to convert the Hagia Sophia back to a mosque. So there's a lot of back and forth. There were demonstrations for conversion to a mosque. There was a lot of political discussions, I guess. 
And in 2020, when Turkey celebrated the 567th, which I didn't know was an important date, but the 567th anniversary of the fall of Constantinople, yeah. they celebrated it with an Islamic prayer in Hagia Sophia, basically for the first time in a long time. Interesting. On July 10th, 2020, yeah. so this year, pretty recent. A month and a half ago. The Council of State decreed that the Hagia Sophia can only be used as a mosque and not for any other purpose. Wow. And its museum status was annulled. The intent that the spokesperson of the president announced was that it would become a working mosque, but still open to anyone, like the Sacré-Cœur or okay. the Notre Dame. It just And the same with the Blue Mosque. It's a like a mosque, yeah. but you can go in. You just need to respect it as a mosque. Okay. It would also remain as a UNESCO World Heritage Site and that the Christian icons would be protected. Right. So globally, this conversion brought a lot of criticism from a lot of different communities. The global Christian community, the Orthodox Christian community, a lot of the Orthodox Greek communities. Yeah were very upset about this. Mm -hmm. The Russian Orthodox Church said a threat to the Hagia Sophia was a threat to all of Christian civilization, which is very crusade language, I imagine. Yeah. UNESCO said it deeply regretted the conversion made without prior discussion. And they also seem to be really skeptical about the conservation and the protection of some of the mosaics, the older mosaics, they were really concerned that, you know, just because they said they were going to protect them doesn't necessarily mean that they were. Yeah. So it's still unclear because, like I said, this happened in July, and so still nobody is flying around yeah. to check on things. And in East Jerusalem, there were protests held outside the Turkish consulate burning the Turkish flag and flying the Greek flag and the flag of the Greek Orthodox Church. Wow. So, I mean, that brings us to today. And I feel like the history of the Hagia Sophia is not yet done. <laughs> like we're still in the middle no. of an ongoing transformation. Yeah. And Turkey has become a little bit less stable since we've been there. I think... Any country is going to have, you know, some level of unrest. And I feel like in the Middle East or the, the Islamic world, the coverage that we get out in the Western world tends to portray exaggerate us. or yeah. not exaggerate, but tends to focus on the unrest. Right. So when we were in Turkey, it was it felt amazingly safe. We saw one protest and there was a little bit of a scuffle on the Syrian border. Yeah, but I will say, like, when we were in Turkey, I felt incredibly safe. I felt incredibly welcomed. I never felt threatened as a woman. Mm -hmm. I never felt threatened for anything I was wearing. I would cover my hair in, when appropriate. Yeah. But when I didn't, nobody bothered us. It was one of the most welcoming and friendly places I've been in the world. I've not been to a lot of Islamic states, I've only been to a few, and Turkey was definitely the one that was the most warm and welcoming. Mm -hmm. I would go back if it was safe and I had the opportunity to. 
central Turkey is still a divide. And there are people that they said, you know, well, yes, I mean, we're sort of Islamic, but there's also Christians that live down the street and the history in this area is so mixed that we've learned to live beside each other. Yeah. For a long time. Like it was one of my favorite places that we've ever been. Being able to see those layers of history and all through Istanbul and the various museums and buildings that you see as they uncovered layers, like literal layers of the strata, you would dig up, oh, here's Ottoman Empire right here in this layer of the earth. And then here's Constantinople and here's the Byzantine and here's all the things before that, like the civilizations that have lived there and coexisted there. Yeah. Sometimes peacefully, sometimes less peacefully. Like, it is one of the coolest places to visit. And I am hopeful that the next transformation is peaceful and will continue to preserve all the history that's there. Yeah, I am also hopeful. But I I do worry that Erdogan kind of represents a more hardline. Yeah. So I think, I don't know how to really end this episode other than, you know, the Hagia Sophia is a lovely, beautiful representation of the location that it sits in. Yeah. And I think it continues to be a symbol of that. It Mm -hmm. continues to be like a monument that documents the history of Istanbul. Yeah. Which is so lovely. I don't know that there are that many structures out there that we can say that about. No, that is a that is a good point. It's it's something that, you know, similar buildings have often been destroyed and rebuilt, whereas this one was just painted over. <laughs> right? We we like it's got good bones. It's got good bones. They said. We've got to do something about these marble floors. <laughs> no, I like them. so yes this is our episode and if you have been to the Isofia or if you are nearby and you can tell us what it looks like now yeah we'd love to hear from you reach out on any of the social media platforms that we are on so which is not twitter which is not twitter because i just can't figure it out but we are on instagram at measure to metric and on facebook at measure to metric and our website measure to metric.com yep drop us a review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to right now special thanks to astronomic audio for sound editing and producing all of our episodes yeah every single one and thanks to john for all the music for all of our episodes that's right which is only three songs but uh, what are you you gonna do (laughs) three songs so far yes also so just to explain twitter is like instagram except everyone is uglier and angrier and there's no pictures no there's pictures but there's so many words and I know it's only 140 characters but it's a lot of reading and when I'm on social media I just don't want to read anyway a lot of bad attitudes we don't need to go into this reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook (laughs) yes we'd love to hear from you guys 
And we are close to wrapping up season two. So let us know what you want to see for season three as we plan out the next season. Until then, remember, measure in metrics.